Father, give us ears that hear and a heart that is willing to be receptive. Help us understand what it means to walk by faith. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. We're continuing in our series on faith. And as we talk about faith, um, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11 once again. And uh, we're going to take a couple of weeks off after this week and then come back. We're going to be doing a series on marriage starting next week. But uh, we will come back and conclude that after that brief series is over. But I encourage you to continue to read through Hebrews chapter 11. And today we are looking at the person of Abraham, the man Abraham. And it's interesting because Abraham is regarded by three major religions as the father of faith. Uh, of course, Christianity uh, looks to Abraham uh, as one of the father, great fathers of the faith, but uh, so does certainly Judaism uh, as they see him as the father of faith, but also that of Islam. So you've got Islam and Christianity, which are the two largest uh, religions in the world today, all, both looking to Abraham as their father, so to speak, of faith, the one in which the promise and the blessing came. But it's interesting, in Abraham's life, if you went back and re read it in chapter 12, and read in Genesis 12, and read through all the chapters of his life, each time God speaks to him, there's a crisis. There's a crisis that comes into his life. And God uses each crisis to direct and to move Abraham. You remember, God comes to Abraham and he says, I want you to pick up your family and move. I want you to go. Matter of fact, if you have the King James Version, uh, I'm sure there's a couple of you that have it here today. God bless you. Uh, but if you have the King James Version, it literally says in chapter 12, verse 1, he said, uh, get, get out and I will showeth you the land for which you're to go. Get out is basically what he says. I mean, it's very direct. All right. Uh, so God tells him to get up, and, he, and Abraham goes, where? And he goes, just, just move, and I'll show you. Second time he comes to him, he says, I'm going to give you a new land. I'm going to give your people a land. Where? Just go, and I'll show you. I'm going to give you a son. How? Just wait and trust me. And then he comes to him, and he says, I want you to give your son back. But, but why? Trust me. Pretty amazing. That's one of the reasons that we call Abraham our figurative father of the faith. The one in whom God chose to bless all nations, all people groups. As we read chapter 11, verse 8, I want you to recognize some key words that will help us to understand what biblical faith is and practically how to live it out. Today, I'm going to give you a lot of practical stuff. Last week, we really deal, dealt a lot with philosophy, the philosophy of faith and the theory of faith. But today, I want to give you a lot of practical information, a lot of practical ways that you can live out biblical faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed. The first part of active and real faith that we see right here is that Real faith obeys. God challenged and called Abraham continually. And Abraham would live up to the challenge. because he Why? Because he obeyed. We have to start there. So many times people say, God, what do you want me to do? I want you to start by obeying. I want you to obey what I've given you right before your face. I want you to obey 
the insights and the word that I have given you. I want you to obey the scripture in which I have given. And when he called him to go out to a place, he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. <coughs> by faith, he went by faith, he went to live in the land of promise. Now you're going to see that word a lot. The promise. Promises. So we see obedience and we see we see a, a spirit of waiting. I want you to wait on me and I'm going to reveal it to you. And then he talks about the promise. I will give you the promise in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, their heirs with him on the same promise. For he was looking forward. You see that term looking forward, it could also be used hope. It means confident expectation. So with hope, with expectation, with confidence, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. So the foundations, the purpose, the structure, the life of which it is built upon are the foundations for which God intended. As he talks, he talks about the eternal life and the eternal home, the eternal city. By faith, Sarah herself received power. The power that God is a God who is able, who is powerful enough to overcome the obstacles of our life, should he choose. And even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born the descendants, as many as the stars of the heavens, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them and hopeful and hopefully expected them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. Slip, to, slip down to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall be your offspring named. And he considered that God was able, was powerful enough to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. The provisions were made. So what are the points that we see right here in our text? First of all, we see that real faith is obedient, that it trusts God enough to take the step to move forward, to act on what has been revealed. Number two, real faith requires waiting. You see virtually every great man of the Scripture. Glenn mentioned Joseph earlier. You don't think he had to wait? And he probably dealt with some real doubts and some real struggles. You see that in the life of Abraham, the life of Moses, the life of Elijah, the life of Jeremiah, the life of Isaiah the life of the, the prophets who were waiting with expectation on what God would do. There's almost always a time in our life where we have to wait and be patient that we wait upon the Lord. As He conforms us, as He transforms our situation, as He transforms the environment before us, we are forced sometimes to wait and trust and last of all, hope. The confident expectation. Real faith is obedient. It waits 
but it also has hope. It has confident expectation. Again, that's the biblical understanding of hope. It's not a wish. We talked about this before. It's not a wish that you'll get something for Christmas or that you wish you'll get away a raise or you wish people would leave you alone, okay? It is a confident expectation in the promises of God, in the word and the character of God. That's what real faith is. Hope in the promises of God, hope in the power of God, and hope in the provisions of God. Real faith believes the promises. Real faith believes in the power. And real faith believes that God will make the provisions when necessary. So what does that look like for us today? What does real faith look like for me in everyday life? Well, one that I believe that God can take the worst circumstances and use them for His glory. That God can bring good out of the worst circumstances. Real faith looks like this, that God can use your circumstances for His glory. It takes advantage. Real faith takes advantages of new beginnings. Sometimes we're forced to start over. Sometimes life drastically changes, and we are placed in a new beginning. But do we take advantage of it, or do we find ourselves stuck in the past? Real faith has the courage to move forward in faith. Real faith believes God will provide what you need for the days ahead. And real faith chooses to obey God. We talked about the three layers of faith last week. Understanding, conviction, and commitment. And Max Lucado gives the best current day definition uh, I think I've ever, I've ever heard. And it goes like this. Real faith is not the belief that God will do what you want, but... The belief that God will do what is right. Faith is not the belief that God will do what you want. It is the belief that God will ultimately do what is right. But let me tell you this. It doesn't mean we won't ever doubt. We won't struggle. You know, as Kirk shared, his struggles with uh, having an autistic son and as he goes through that process, that doesn't mean that you don't have faith. But in our human uh, frailty, it's hard for us to understand, God, how are you going to do this? How are you going to pull me through this? How are you going to make all this work together for your good? How are you doing what ultimately is best and right? I can't see it. And we struggle with those doubts. Let me tell you, that's very normal. We all struggle with doubts, every one of us, myself included, The question is not if I'm going to struggle with doubt, but how am I going to respond to it? How am I going to handle that? And we've talked just very briefly about this before, but there are three basic types of doubt. First of all, there's volitional doubt. What I mean by volitional doubt, a lot of people just choose not to believe. That's not what I want to believe. That's not what I want to do. That's not the way I want to think. That's not something I want to consider. And they just make a choice. It's not really based upon intellect or anything else. It's just a choice. Uh, And usually it has to do with people who just, I just don't want to change the way I'm living. I don't want to take myself off the throne of my life and submit to Christ. I I just don't want to. It's a volitional choice. Some uh, have what you would call uh, factual or intellectual doubts. They are based on, they don't understand historically how this could be true, who Christ was. And by the way, there's a great book called A Case for Christ. There's many. We've got a few of those out there. 
Uh, if you're really struggling with the history of who Christ was and do we have good historical evidence for Christ and his claims, I, I think it is the best book you can, you can get, uh, A Case for Christ. But some, maybe it's science. I, I believe if you study the history, you'll get there. Uh, that's why Scripture said, when you seek for me and search for me, you will find me. And I believe if it's really intellectual, if you really study, if you really put the time in, you'll be like Alison McGrath or C.S. Lewis uh, or some of these great intellectual minds who put time into their study and really studied the history and really studied the science and came to the conclusion, I don't understand everything, but this makes the most logical sense. And that's how they came to faith. Uh, same way with Francis Collins. As you look at those men, that's how they got there, by studying the evidence. With science, I, I would encourage you, there, if you're still struggling with a case for the Creator, uh, that's another book that Strobel has put out. Uh, and just understanding that there must be a designer, there must be a beginning, an organizer. Even Albert Einstein, uh, who was not a Christian, said you would have to be an idiot not to believe there was some kind of God that started this, that created. And so... That's just a given. So you recognize there was a creator, and as you look at the history, I believe that Christianity gives the best answer. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, the truth is revealed. So the truth of it is, there are very few people, quite frankly, that it's really a factual issue. You know what it primarily most people deal with? Emotional doubt. Not factual doubt, emotional doubt. I'd say that's 75% of people, emotional doubt. What do I mean? Well, but I'm not sure. Like, I'm not sure that that's really... What if, what if there isn't a God? Or what if Jesus really wasn't the Messiah? What if, and we get into the emotional. We're not studying the evidence. We just feel like it, or we heard it, and so we emotionally respond. And so sometimes psychologically, when we're not feeling well, that brings about emotional doubt. Health conditions, when we're not feeling well, or we're dealing with serious health issues... Or we've had childhood issues where maybe we didn't have a good father example or some bad things happened to us, and it just invades our spirit with darkness and doubt. Broken relationships, relationships between children or spouses or parents or work, and we start to struggle and doubt comes in. Our self-esteem is low and we're doubting everything. Peer pressure, we get to work and everyone else is speaking so confidently how they're certain that there's no God, or they're certain that there's so many different ways, other, other ways other than Christianity to God. And we start to hear that, and we think, well, maybe they're right. That's not based upon fact. That's based upon emotion. Christian hypocrisy. We see somebody that does something that we thought was a, a great Christian, or we thought that that was real faith, and they, we find them doing something hypocritical. And we go, well, maybe I don't believe. That's not based upon the Word of God, upon truth. Again, that's upon emotion. Are we worried about the future? Or, here's a big one, we have the incorrect view of God. What's the incorrect view of God? Going back to the quote by Licato. Faith is not believing that God's going to give me what I want. But if my belief system is, if I really believe God will give me what I want, He'll do what I want. He'll do what I think's best. But see, we, we worship such a bigger God than what we see and what we think and what we can comprehend. And our hope is building nothing less but Jesus Christ and His righteousness, that He is divine, that He is omnipotent, that He is omniscient, that He knows and sees the eternal picture. 
And that's what my hope and my faith is in. So what, I do when I, what should I do when I do doubt? Well, go back to the promises of God. Renew your mind in the promises of God. That's what Paul talked about in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Doubt your doubts. We've mentioned this before. Hey, you're going to have doubts come in, but just like you doubt truth, you doubt doubts. Just because a doubt comes in does not mean it's right. Just because there are other options or other possibilities doesn't make it true. Connect with the body of Christ. A lot of times people deal with doubt when they isolate themselves. And let your doubt drive you to your faith. Let it drive you to study and to seek Him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. So as we look at this, um, I think it's important for us to say, you know what, how do I handle this myself, and how do I handle this with my children? You know, um, one of my children has asked us several questions about things that he doubts. And uh, by the way, I've got a, a message in June, I believe it was on June 16th, uh, on basic apologetic questions everyone should know. You can go back and look at that. And those are great questions to just go through with your children. Matter of fact, uh, my, one of my children has already asked me most of those without having me, I didn't have to really go through it. They just ask them. Okay? So uh, what do we do? How do we handle that when our children have doubts? Well, first of all, let them know, hey, tough times are going to come. And sometimes you're going to have doubts in your life. There are going to be experiences that come. Let them know that that's coming. Share with them struggles that you've had, maybe now or even in the past. Say, you know, I remember I struggled with that. I struggled with that whole Abraham, Isaac thing. And that's a good question. Let's talk about that. Help them prioritize their faith now. Make sure that they have a a Bible they can understand. Make sure that they have good devotional material. Material. Make sure they're getting involved in some of our program, educational programs, to help them grow in their faith. Teach them about Christian heroes of the faith. That's one of the reasons we're going through Hebrews chapter 11. Let them hear about those individuals and then read about them and know of their faith. Let them ask the hard questions and ask them hard questions. I think it's one of the best things that we can do sometimes and ask them, well, why do you think that happened? Why do you think they died? And what does that mean? Those are good questions to ask sometimes and let our children begin to think about it where it's not the first time when these tragedies and these tough times occur. Teach them basic apologetics. Let them know there's mystery in our faith, that we worship a big and mighty God and He is infinitely more knowledgeable, more powerful, and more in control than we could ever hope or imagine. And we're simply a grain of on a rock spinning through space trying to comprehend the God of the universe. There's going to be some mystery there. There are going to be some things that we don't understand, but it doesn't make it not true. Take them on a mission trip. Don't condemn them for not believing. Don't, don't get too upset when they go, Mom, Dad, I don't believe that. I, I have a countless parents come. I, I can't, they're, they're struggling with, with some of the miracles. Eh, so did you probably, okay? So do most of us at some point in our life. And say, that's okay. Tell me why you struggle with that. Let's talk about that. And let's talk about who God is and how big he is. And, and is it possible that God could allow something to happen that we don't understand? Could it be that he's going to make all things right eternally, even though we may not understand it here on earth? And lastly, read scripture to them and pray over them. Let them hear the truth in the word of God coming over them. You know, Frederick Beekner, the great theologian and writer, said this about doubt. 
He said, without somehow destroying me in the process, how could God ever reveal himself in a way that would leave no room for doubt? For if he did, there'd be no room for me. Bigner says, if there's no room from doubt, then there's no room for me. In my frail and sinful manner and spirit, that's just part of the equation. Because I'm always going to feel uncomfortable with not being the God of my life. I'm always going to be uncomfortable without everything going my way. And so doubt's always going to be a part of the equation. But what we want to see is the bigger picture. And it goes like this. There's a lumberjack uh, one time who would go into the great northern force of California. And he worked for a company. They had hired him to go in and survey the property before they would come in and cut all the trees down. They would replant, but they were doing clear-cutting. And so that lumberjack would go in and he'd survey the property. And he'd always take his axe with him. And one day as he was going into one of the forest, he saw a bird in one of these great trees. And it was just beginning to build a nest. And he thought to himself, that, bird's, that house is going to be demolished. And so he took his axe and he began to pound on that tree as he began to chop that tree. It jarred that tree. And it jolted that bird. And the bird was so... Uh, scared that he flew off, and he flew to another tree. And about 10 minutes later, as he's continuing to survey, he finds that bird starting the process of building in another tree. And so that lumberjack takes his axe, and he hits that tree as hard as he could. And it jarred that bird so hard that the bird literally started to fall out of the nest, and he barely caught his balance before he hit the ground. That bird flew away thinking, what a monster All I'm trying to do, I'm just a little bird trying to build a nest, but that monster down there keeps trying to hack away at where I'm establishing a home. Never understanding that that lumberjack's heart was so merciful, he was seeking to save that bird and to save that bird's family for the long term. See, he didn't want to see that bird just have a short-term experience, short-term comfort, short-term safety, but he was looking at the big picture. That's a beautiful picture of God Almighty as he looks at our life. And some of you here today, he may be hitting the tree of your life. The trunk of your life may be jarring right now. And it's often when God is speaking and God is moving. Would you listen and say, God, yes, I'll go. Where? He'll probably say, wait. How? Just be faithful and obey. When? Start the process now. Can you show me exactly where? I want you to trust me today. What about you? Are you living out that kind of practical, real faith? Father, thank you for this time together this morning. And Lord, I pray that you'd give us insight and wisdom and understanding. Lord, I pray that we would trust in the goodness and the greatness of God. That, Lord, we'd be willing to be obedient with what you've revealed. That we would wait upon you and be patient. And, Lord, that we'd put our hope, our confident expectation in your promises, in your power, and in your provisions. Just as Abraham did. Just as, Father, you've given us the example. Let us trust that you do all things for your good, for your kingdom. And that, Lord, as you include us, It will often mean difficult times and difficult circumstances, but let us trust you in the midst of pain and crisis so that you might be glorified and so that we would trust you with a bigger picture. 
In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.